welcome to the Open Pantry Podcast for yet another episode. Thank you so much for spending some time with me and tuning in again. Today I get to talk with Jared Molino who is around some of the best bar and restaurant concepts in Sydney at the moment. Kitty Hawk, Bib Poppers, Lobo Plantation and his newest Bartolo and we talk about that his existence in the in the hospitality industry for a great period of time especially his time at Maryvale as well this is a great episode I think you're going to gain a lot from this if you're thinking about scaling your business forward the things to look for the systems and processes to put in place and just some great ideas for marketing and making your brand look a lot different so let's get into today's show let me know what you think Welcome to the Open Pantry Podcast for yet another episode. Great to have you listening. Amazing to have Jared Molino, the Managing Director of so many brands in Sydney. Jared, I'm going to get into them really, really quickly. Bartolo, Kitty Hawk, Big Poppers and Lobo Plantation. Mate, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for being on. Thank you, Sean. Pleasure to be here. Um, now, this came about um, as we were. I was talking with your PR agency last week and, and, and really wanted to do some research and deep dive into your brands in Sydney. Uh, they're just exceptional brands. You've been in the industry uh, for a good amount of time doing some great creative work uh, in the hospitality space. Do you want to just sort of frame up how you started in the hospitality industry and sort of what got you going? Yeah. Um, so, look, I started hospitality when I first left school, when I was um, just turned 18. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't my plan to go into hospitality um my plan was always to study business at university um and i i left school uh i was on my school holidays directly after all my exams and my sister had just started a um gentleman's club with a restaurant involved so she called me yeah (laughs) so um she she'd been in the industry for a long time in hospitality and restaurants and whatnot she had this opportunity to start this uh this gentleman's club it's called minx on pitt street in the city still there to this day yeah um and she she built that from the ground up and started it and uh the kitchen hand had called in sick one day and she asked me if i was doing anything and if I wanted to come in and scrub some pots of the day and I was like of course I do it's a gentleman's club I'm, <laughs> yeah, 18. I'm an eight, yes. <laughs> I'm an 18 year old male so I uh, so I went in and, and started at nine in the morning and I, right. I finished it at midnight that night but yeah. it was one of the most you know it's great to be, be involved in a kitchen I had quite a, quite an amazing little menu for a little space and um, look even though I was just in there scrubbing pots or whatnot, I really loved the culture and the idea of working in hospitality up that day so I took that role um, and started working that whilst I was waiting to get into university mm-hmm. um, and, and really loved it, enjoyed hospitality, enjoyed being part of that, that culture. Um, and from there, I, I worked my way up from being a kitchen and I, I got out onto the bar after about a year. Okay. And then from there, I went to Maryvale. So I was wow. with Maryvale um, for, I went to, to um, functions and events and then back to being a, a bar back um, after that from a bartender. They wouldn't let me be a bartender anywhere. Um, so I, I took a bar back role. And from there, I, I worked with Maryvale for nine years. Um, yeah, right. And I learned obviously a lot from that company, a lot of what I, I practice today, a lot of the systems and, and a lot of the knowledge that I have today, I, I learned from that company. Um, very, very systems based, obviously, obviously a massive player in the game now. Mm. Um, and, and, and uh, yeah, I learned everything I needed to from them. So it was, it was a great nine years. I bounced around a lot inside of that company. I was used, um, I was a bar back and then, um, I was studying at university, um, right. and I ended up in, in the same class as the group general manager's son, 
um, and ended up putting him in, in my group without without knowing it. Yeah. I didn't know who he was. He ended up in my group, and he I sort of um, we ended up getting high distinctions in this in this project that we we're doing. And he went back and told his father that I was working with the company. And anyway, I got pulled in the office one day and got offered um, to start training as an assistant manager in one of the small pubs in the group. And it was the best thing that um, it ever really happened because it meant wow. that I got to learn to manage at, and I was only 20 at, the, at that stage. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. Um, I bounced around the company a bit and I, and I got to work in all of the, the good pubs, um, ended up back at establishment for a few years when that was thriving. And then just as Ivy opened, I moved across into Ivy um, to run the pool club on the roof there for, for six years. So wow. that was an experience in itself, I being bet. able to yeah, be, be part of that and open that and, and run that. Um, it's a 600-capacity venue, mm. um, and we would get it there quite often yes. <laughs> every day of the week. Yes. And it was, yeah, it was just a very exciting time for hospitality in Sydney because it hadn't seen anything like Ivy before. So, um, yeah, so that was, that was my, my initial nine years with Maryvale, um, learning to do what I do now. And let's um let's go back a couple of steps. Do you think it would have how much different do you think your career progression would have been if you didn't if you didn't have that project and, and did so well um in university with the boss's son? Do you think do you think you still would have got obviously you would have got noticed because you've got incredible talent, right? But like yeah. do you think it do you think it just would have been a slower progression and you would have got the same opportunities or how do you think it would have worked out? No, look I, I think that's that's that was just a a coincidence that I ended yeah. up being in that in that same subject there. Um, I was already talking to people um, inside of the company to be able to move around. I'd already yep. made my intentions known that I'd wanted to start managing. Um, and I think it just all happened at a convenient time. Um, you know, it was, yeah, again, a talent always shines through. I, I like to think if, yeah, you, totally if you're good great. at what you're doing and you're, and you're hungry enough at what you do, mm. um, then you will get it. So that sort of gave me the leg up to manage inside the company. But when Ivy was opening, um, I, I stuck my hand up and there was an acting general manager at the time that that, that gentleman had moved on that, that had given me the first opportunity yep. as Ivy was opening. There was, there was two guys splitting the role as group general manager. I asked yep. for a meeting with them. I went and sat with them and I said, I want to be part of pool club on the roof. And um, they turned around to me and said, no one else in the company has come to us yet and said that they want this. You're the first person wow. to say that you actually want something. Um, and I hung, and they said, look, we'd love to give you the opportunity. So I was always hungry enough to push myself to try and do as well as I could inside that company and learn as much as I could. And, um, you know, sometimes it just takes you, you know, wanting to push that little bit harder to, to learn a bit more or push yourself outside of your boundaries to get those opportunities. What was the, what was the biggest thing that made you want to really look after Ivy and, and be that front runner? Was there something that innately was just saying to you, this is going to be a massive establishment and I want to, I want to have that on my resume and challenge myself or? I think the main thing, a lot of it was glory back then. I imagine being a, yeah. a young, a young, like at the time that I moved to Ivy, I was 23 and I was going to be opening, you know, the, the newest and the most exciting yeah, the and hottest, the biggest. Yeah. But yeah. And that was, mm. that was a lot of my drive in my early twenties was you, mm. you wanted to be the face of something amazing. But I also knew that I'd learn a lot going through the process and, Ever since I sort of, you know, ever since I started in hospitality, I always knew that I wanted to do what I'm doing now. I wanted to build my own company and I wanted to build my own, um, my own venues. So for me, I had to make sure that I was learning everything that I could learn um, as quickly as I could to be able to progress as quickly as I wanted to. So for me, being there was one, it was going to be about being part of the hottest new thing, but also being part of that progression and, and understanding how a venue is set up, how it runs, how it's sure. meant to operate. Um, and I just knew that Pool Club would be a very dynamic business because it was 
outside of an Italian restaurant called Ocello. It was, you know, it was going to be a crossover between the two. You had cabanas there that you had to manage with big VIP clients. You had the pool right in the middle of a mm, drinking establishment. Absolutely. Which had, had its own challenges. <laughs> I bet. Um, there was nothing like it in Australia at the time, so it was going to be very unique. You know, mm. all these things to me were, were very enticing to, to want to be part of that project. And, um, yeah, at the time for a 23-year-old to be working around a pool club, it was, you know. It's amazing. It was, yeah, it was it was better than anything else that was on offer in Australia at that point in my mind, and sure. and presented the most amount of challenges and the best challenges. Do you think, um, sort of moving into your first venue and having those nine years of Maryvale, and you saying, you know, I knew there were things I needed to know, and and I wanted to upskill myself to some degree. Mm-hmm. Do you think the Do you think the framework and the systems that Maryvale had allowed you to sort of see what you needed to learn to move forward, or was that sort of just a a great self awareness that you actually had? No, they definitely give you, they definitely gave me a great understanding of how important systems could be. Obviously, yeah. there's only a certain level that you can get to inside Maryvale of understanding why a system works or the, the total information being input into a system, if that makes sense. So yeah. I, I understood the importance of, you know, the, the, the value of uh, your cost of goods and the, and the importance of managing labour. And the you know the importance of an efficient point of sale system and stock mm. management and all of these I knew that but but getting into the intricacies of it you're only allowed certain exposure inside a company like Maryvale so yes. it did get definitely gave me an understanding of of numbers and an importance of managing numbers and managing people um, but once you step out and do your own thing there's a lot that you're learning um, uh, at that point you're learning on your own you know you're, you're taking on yep. challenges that yeah, um, yep. no, no matter how long you work with Maryvale or a company like that you're never going to face them so um it was scary I, I believe that I you know at that point that I was ready um that was in 2013 that I decided to step out on my own and start the Lobo Plantation and mm. um I believe I had a, a, the right amount of knowledge to be able to do it but there was definitely you know a lot of long days and long nights figuring out stuff on the go in the first uh year or so with, with Lobo yeah so so talk to me about how you sort of got to that point uh, with Lobo being the first venue. Like, how did that come about? Like, what challenges did you have when you first you first went into that venue? So Lobo came about, um, and when I look back at it now, the, the inherent risk of Lobo was massive. Yeah. But again, um, it's always, or hindsight's always twenty twenty, isn't it? So mm. the, the guys that I went into Lobo Plantation, who I'm still partners with now, Michael and Eddie, um, I didn't know them at all. Um, there were two guys out of Bondi. Eddie was in commercial um, leasing. Um, he had had the space for a while. He was trying to lease this space, which was an old hairdresser's space. Right. Um, and he couldn't he couldn't lease it. And then he the, the small bar movement was happening. Um, right. And there was a lot of people, mm-hmm. a lot of bartenders and a lot of new operators looking to start, or bartenders trying to be operators, trying to start mm-hmm. their own venues. Um, and he decided, that, look, I'll, he, he thought that if he could find the right person to put into play, he'd be able to do it himself. So move away from commercial leasing into hospitality itself. So yeah, they right. approached me um, through a mutual friend who was doing some consulting for them, trying to find them a, a strong general manager to come in, be a partner, yep. take some ownership um, and also come in and run it from the ground up. So I met with them. I looked at the space um, and it was completely blank. And, and I sort of, um, I, I had the vision of this bar that I'd want to do for a very, very long time. I'd always wanted to do a rum bar for about five years preceding that. Mm. Um, I'd, I'd traveled, my, my wife grew up in Jamaica, um, and we'd, we'd traveled to the Caribbean a few times right. prior to that. And I decided, Hence rum. That, yeah, yeah. so yeah. I, I really, I wanted rum to be, a, a, I wanted to do a really, really good rum bar. 
um, unlike unlike the rum bars that we'd seen before. You know, I didn't yes. want it to be focused on Australian rum. I didn't want it to. I wanted it to really be about Caribbean rums. So. Wow. Um, I went in there with them. They had a similar vision. They wanted to be a rum bar, but they didn't know what it was. I had this rum bar, which I knew what it was, but it didn't have the space or the or the resources at the time to be able to build it. So it was right. a good, it's, it's a mutual benefit um, sort of relationship. So I came in and built it from the ground up, worked with them on the the final aspects of the design, the layout, um, built the bar down to every square inch, made sure that the room could deal with the capacity and we could keep up with it. Um, then we mm-hmm. built the team, we built the structures, and and we opened the doors and it was um it was definitely a big challenge because there was where Lobo is now as I said there was a hairdressers before so there was mm. no plumbing there was no electrical there was nothing <laughs> no so we, yeah yeah exactly mm-hmm. so all that had to be built um from the ground up and and then a team as well so I was a new operator um in a market where there wasn't everyone was either working for the big boys either um, Maryvale or Solitel or um, mm-hmm. Keystone mm-hmm. at the time. Mm-hmm. So there wasn't many people following guys like myself into the small bars, um, especially someone like me who's coming out of Maryvale, unproven, et cetera. So it yeah. had its challenges starting the team um, and having people follow you, but um, you just put your head down and try and sell people the dream of what you're trying to create and, and hopefully they follow you. And, and I was able to do that. And, and um, yeah, the challenges were, were large. Um, you know, your biggest fear is ever that, that you build it and they don't come. Yes. Um, and, you know, there was nights there where my philosophy with hospitality is that if you're building a bar um, and you're going to say your trading hours are till midnight, then you are open till midnight every night of the week. And if no one comes to the doors, you stand there and you wait. Um, mm-hmm. and, and there was a lot, a lot of those nights at the beginning when we we're getting going where, you know, it, the last person would leave the venue at nine and you'd stand there for three hours waiting for, for people to come through the doors. And, you know, it's that sort of commitment to a brand and a product that you sort of need at that time because when that one person does come through at 10.30 at night after dinner and they yeah. have a great experience, then it grows and it grows from there. And, um, you know, now Lobo is six years old and it's doing better than it's ever done and it's thriving as, you know, it's, it's one rum bar in Australia two years in a row. It's, you know, it's, it's recognised internationally. It's, it's, it's a great little institution now. I think it's at a point after six years where it's recognised as something that's not going to leave the market any time. And if you want rum in Sydney, that's where you go. So it's an institution. that makes me extremely yeah. proud. Yeah, it makes me really proud to think that that's where we got it to in the end. It's amazing. Mm. Do you think in those early days, um, what do you think, some staff were sort of apprehensive, potential staff were apprehensive to come across. Do you think they were just so used to the structure and the big, the big names and the, and the, and the big brands in Sydney that, you know, they, you know, you're, you're a very likable character, right? You can bring mm. people on board. Like, I like did they, so. <laughs> would, why, why do you think they found that hard? Do you think it was just, a, you were literally, you know, changing the game in, in small bar culture in Sydney at that point? I just think it's a gamble for anyone. Mm. It's like, even, even now when I'm, you know, looking for staff to, you know, Bartolo's only six months old or seven months yes. old now and yep. you're trying to convince people to come to a small restaurant bar space in Surrey Hills and work. And there, there's now it's a bit different because they have such a choice of where they can work. There's so many operators and so many venues they can choose from. But back then yes. it was, am I going to leave the security of a guaranteed X amount of hours everywhere in somewhere like Maryvale and come mm-hmm. to you? You're an unknown. I don't know. You know, I, I don't, I don't know whether it's going to work. No one knows whether it's going to work. You, you know, you've never operated your own venue before. You don't have the structure of Maryvale. All these things, I guess, I'm guessing, is why they, you know, people have their doubts. But, um, I, yeah, I, I think it's more certainty for. It was more certainty for bartenders back then. You know, am I, am I going to come and work with you? And then, you know, in three weeks, I'm going to go from having 30 hours down to 10 hours, and then I'm going to be looking Good for point. a job again. Yeah. yeah. 
So, like, they they even though they have to believe that you're going to get it to where you think you're going to get it to, and they've got to back Mm. you. Mm-hmm. Um, because again, it's their livelihood on the line as well. You know, if they can't earn what they need to earn every week, then it's a bit of a struggle. So, um, at that early stage, it's, it really was about selling a dream. You know, you're, you're bringing people through a space that was still a construction site. It didn't look like Lobo does now. And you're trying to convince <laughs> them that it's going to be a busy 120 capacity venue and you're going to be pumping out cocktails, um, yep. all night long. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, yeah, you just really, you, as, as an operator, you're almost, you know, you've got to be very, very inspirational in, in convincing people that what you can see in your mind is what this venue is going to be. And, um, I think we we're able to do that with the right people. We definitely had some turnover at the beginning of the business. Yep, um, you know, we went through a lot of people who, uh, didn't like the way that I did business or how, how hard I was on, on certain aspects of committing to, you know, like I was saying before, if we're, mm. if we're staying open until midnight and there's no last person out at nine, you know, bartenders would naturally want to start breaking down wells or start cleaning. And yep. I'm like, nope, stand still. You're not doing anything. Just wait for that customer, you know, and that can frustrate people because they, they want to be moving and constantly, but you know, it, it, it worked because now we're busy every night of the week till 1am um, because people know they can come later and they can get an atmosphere and get an environment. So we did turn over some staff at the beginning, but then we found, we found the key people. Um, Dre Walters was, was instrumental. Um, he's got his own venue now, him and Paige Orbort, who was working for me at one point. Um, once I had those two in there as managers underneath me, we really started to thrive. And once you've got a team that can really understand each other and understand the product, then um, the rest of the team falls into place and, and you can really start doing what you do best. Yeah. Did it did it make you feel um, a bit more confident that this, <clears throat> excuse me, particular venue, well, this particular venue wasn't a venue before um, and, and it was a hairdresser studio, it was unproven. Did it make you feel more confident you can actually deliver on an experience that you had the vision of, Jared, rather than taking over an existing bar, refitting it and, and trying to make it better than the previous owner had it? It was definitely more enticing for me to, mm. to obviously take a space that hasn't been something before and create it absolutely exceptionally brand new, you know what I mean? Because it's a new mm-hmm. destination and no one's ever gone there to, to have a drink in that space before. Um, it was exciting back then. Again, as I said, looking back now, it was extremely risky, extremely, yes. extremely, um, <laughs> extremely ballsy to say the least because there was no one, the only people at that point in that area was Baxter Inn, which were across the road. And they had just, they were only about uh, eight months ahead of us and they were still finding their feet as well. They're obviously an institution now and one of the most recognized bars in the world. But at the time, that area of Clarence Street was dead. There was no one going there. There was, there was nothing drawing people into that space really. Um, and it was pretty risky to think that we were going to be good enough and have a loud enough voice and, and do well enough that we'd pull people into the area now it's a different story. Now there's, there's yeah. probably there's sorry, probably, yours is completely different. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, it's you know, it, it, Lobo was yeah one of those ones where you you you, you in that district now you've got PS40, mm. you've got Baxter Inn, you've got Barbershop, you've got like there's there's probably ten world class bars in one area, so people travel there now. Yeah. Um, but yeah, back then it was it, it, the enticement of having doing something from scratch was was extremely exciting for me, but also it is an extremely risky move. Um, you've got you've really got to believe in your concept and your ability to be able to deliver an exceptional experience in a new space to, to do that. And obviously the cost of doing that as well, um, you know, running all your new plumbing, running grease trap, your electrical, um, the cost is obviously much, much higher than taking over something that has all that all existing. Most definitely. Yeah. One thing, one thing I'm really impressed about um, with Lobo, I really want to move on to the, to the other projects you've got in a second, but 
is you've got the same three owners plus yourself that you, you started with six years ago. Um, and with those people, you know, potentially not being in hospital, was it, was it hard or a challenge for you to sort of continue to keep them on the vision of your vision of what, what you wanted Lobo to be and move forward? Like, was that a big had- challenge for you? It's definitely managing your partners is probably one of the biggest challenges when uh, when you're working with people that um, aren't necessarily in hospitality or don't necessarily look at hospitality in the same way that you do. Yeah. Um, but Mike and Eddie, you know, had a good understanding and good grasp. Eddie's now um, in Mateo downtown and Mateo mm-hmm. Double Bay, so he, he's he's branched off into his own um, area of hospitality and, sure. and is doing well there. But um, look, we definitely. I definitely every every operator looks at hospitality different to to anyone else. You know what I mean? Like sure. the schoolhouse guys, yeah. we, we're all very good at what we do, but but we all look at it in a different way, even if it's even the, the tiniest aspects. But trying to convince partners in why you make a certain decision or why you're doing it this way or why you're rostering a certain way or why mm. you want to take a brand a certain way, it can be time consuming and draining. But it's obviously necessary. You know, managing those relationships, they they put a large investment into you. Um, that they, they put a lot of money on the line in order to, to see you make something successful. So you sort of have an obligation to be explaining to them why you're taking something in a certain direction or why you believe that do, taking a certain action is going to reap the benefits. Um, sure. And it was, it, it did, as I said, there was nights there at the beginning of, say, Lobo or even Kitty Hawk because Mike and Eddie, are, um, mm-hmm. that's the only other venture I have with them is Kitty Hawk where there's mm-hmm. the three of us in that. Um, you know, when, when we are starting that, it was going to be, a, it's a bar based on the liberation of Paris in 1944. Um, <laughs> just imagine how selling that to your partner. Yeah. Um, how did you like, get that across uh, the line? <laughs> uh, you know, just, yeah. just by sheerly sitting down and being able to convince them what that, what that entails and showing them what that means in a bar aspect, how that looks, you know, is it, it's a lot of, you know, it's a military sort of themed bar. So it's a lot of straight whiskey and straight rum and straight rye and, and, and then it's champagne and celebration, but with a beautiful sort of French look and feel to a venue. So it's converting a, a date and history into a venue and into a brand and into a product. And I sort of, again, I had to sit down, as I was saying before, you have to be very inspirational. You have to be able to get people to see the vision inside your mind and believe that that's going to be a busy bar or a busy restaurant. Wow. So many questions. Um, <laughs> moving forward, like when you've done Lobo and obviously you're saying Kitty Hawk was your second. Mm-hmm. How did you continue to run those venues and know that the next one was going to be as successful as the last? Like, was it just pure confidence moving forward and you felt like you needed a new challenge every time and that's why you did another venue? Or how did you sort of come to that dynamic? Um, yeah, I, I look out at knowing, um, being able to move forward from um, Lobo into Kitty Hawk, uh, as I said before, I had. I'd, I'd set the business up to a point there and I had the right people in place. So I had Dre Walters and, and Paige Allgood who were in my management team at the time. And, mm. and I was able to believe that whilst I was over, all, all of the venues that I've done, I'm um, very hands-on in building them. So I'm on the ground with the trades. I sort of manage the project. I, I get my hands dirty in the construction of it because growing up, all my brothers were in trades. So cool. knowing, knowing my way around a tool is obviously very helpful when you're building a mm. venue. You can reduce your cost, but you can also make sure that every square inch of the place is measured and down to exactly how you want it to work. So yes, um, I was very hands-on with Kitty Hawk, but, um, and at the same time that I was building Kitty Hawk, um, Big Poppers fell in my lap as well. It was a, a venue on Oxford Street. So I ended up building Kitty Hawk and Big Poppers at exactly the same time wow. and, and opening them both within a week of each other. 
So wow. it was extremely, extremely demanding time in 2016. But mm. again, I was able to sort of stop and look and say, uh, okay, in order for me to do big poppers, I had to find someone who could essentially be myself, the general manager of the business. And I found my partner, um, Lewis Jaffrey, who came in there and was able to help me build the team, build the structure. I already had the structures from the other businesses, which is a massive step forward. If you, yes. if you already have a base for your systems, you know, your point of sale, your payroll, I already had a great bookkeeper who I still have to this day. All yep. these elements are key to being able to push forward and grow. You're sort of replicating the same systems again with a with a new brand, new product, new team. So with those there, I was able to put Lewis into play at, at Big Poppers. He was in there as owner-operator as well. He took a percentage of my share and he was cool. able to to open it and run it. Um, he, he was running Baxter in before that. Um, so this was a step up for him to be able to move, move into ownership um, and open something new and exciting. Um, and we're able to build that and Kitty Hawk at the same time. And, and the, I don't, I don't know where the confidence comes from. I guess it's just, I guess it's just a matter of understanding that, you know, what hospitality is, you know, what the experience you want to deliver and, and finding the people who, again, share in that vision that, that are able to say, okay, I reckon this is going to be what you think it's going to be. And I'm happy to help you get it there. Yes. Um, so, you know, we had to build two teams at the same time whilst keeping Lobo still moving forward as well. Um, it was 2016 was definitely had its challenges. Um, but once they were open, you know, both open to, to great reviews, um, five stars and people loving it. Big poppers, mm-hmm. you know, has thrived since day one. So yep. it, it, it was ex- extremely exciting to be able to build two at the same time and get them open at the same time. But um, I guess, I guess the confidence comes from the systems, you know, knowing that you know that if you can get it open and you get the right people in there, that your systems will form the basis of anything that you're able to do. Um, and from there, it's just a matter of understanding a customer and understanding the product that they want you to deliver. Has it been a challenge for you to have uh, staff coming on board? I don't know if this, is, this would be relevant to you or not, but staff coming on board who maybe haven't had uh, and worked in such a structured and, and focused approach regards to system and processes and then come into your business where that is ingrained in the culture? Like, has that been a challenge for them to sort of work into or do you find that's a benefit for them? Um, there's definitely look every, every, nearly every business that we've opened, um, you see the, the staff turnover in the first six months. Yeah. Um, yeah. there's, there's a few, you know, there's probably a handful. Say you start with a team of 30, there's probably five that last longer than that. Yeah. Um, why the very, the reasons vary massively, but a lot of it is some people just realize it's not for them. Um, sure. that, you know, it's not, it's not what they thought it was going to be or, um, as you're saying, some people have challenges with the, the level of systems that you have, you know, mm. that you have to, or the level of service or the detail of service. So sure. I like to think that inside the company that we have a certain level of service and a sequence of service to make sure that that, that experience is exceptional for the customer. Some people just want to come in and pull schooners and, and, um, and sling beers and, you know, do things that way, which is, yes. it, there's obviously the, the place in the market for those places, but yep. they're not, they're, they've never been ours. You know, mm. ours is always about, amazing cocktails, amazing food and beverage and an exceptional guest experience. So that's down to someone with some confidence to be able to talk to people about cocktails, spirits, the food. Um, and some people just find that that's, that's not a fit for them and that's fine. They move on to venues that are a better fit for them. But um, for, for us, um, you know, that is the constant challenge, especially in the market at the moment is finding people and finding um, staff who, who want to work in a detailed product and take pride in it. Um, and you know, there is so many, so many venues and operators out there now, and the challenges are becoming harder and harder for, for people to be able to, to hire good staff. So, um, yeah, staffing is probably the most challenging aspect of, of running a company of this size these days. I totally agree. Um, how do you, 
how do you find yourself being still able to be creative in such a competitive space as we're talking about? Um, you know, the, the kind of ideals and uh, the kind of ideals of your brand that you're talking about, Jared, are uh, very systematic with things like coffee and, you know, like uh, we're wanting that at baristas now as, as well yeah. as bartenders and, and yeah. people who make bread and all those kind of things. Like how, how are you finding your, how are you finding to actually keep creative in the industry with it being so oversupplied? I do find it tricky. Um, I find the, the, the times that I am the most creative is usually, um, there's two main times is when I'm away from my products, um, sure. when I'm able to interact with other people's products. Um, so when I step away on leave, um, recently this year, I went to Perth for, for a week and a half with the wife and mm-hmm. spent some time in people's venues over there. And then after that, um, I traveled to New York for three weeks and New York is obviously uh, an amazing world mm. of, of hospitality venues and yep. especially you know, being able to, yeah. yeah, being able to sit and look at and taste other people's drinks and their product and just really sit there with my wife who's obviously my right hand woman and, yeah. and she sort of you know, we just she she knows the way I look at hospitality. Just being able to just discuss and taste and feel and experience other people's spaces and, and not we're not talking about ripping off people's ideas, but just the way that a certain experience makes you feel and why it makes you feel that way. Um, you've got to go through those experiences, right? So yes. even if they're bad ones, so there was quite a few of them in New York that we had. I was like, this is, this is not a, this is not a good experience, but why, why isn't it a good experience? Is it the lighting? Is it the customer? Is it the, sorry, is it the um, staff? Is it the product itself? Um, bad experiences are just as good as good experiences for you to be able to shape what you deliver back here in this market. So being able to get out of my own space and go and see other people's spaces is, is definitely um, extremely important for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but also just being able to work your product um so bartolo obviously being the newest one in the group mm. um i'm it's it's been here now as i said for almost seven or eight months and i've spent a lot of my time in like the last six to eight weeks um on the lead up to our approval we, we just got a psa approval here which means that people can come and drink here now without having to eat um and on the lead up to that i, I, I applied for that as soon as we opened the doors yeah um and and it took six months for that to come through thank you sydney bureaucracy but it, it came through <laughs> came through in the end which is great um they're not they're not being given out freely these days but again we we proved after three months that we were going to run the venue not as a nightclub or a bar but as a restaurant where people could just come and have a cocktail in the afternoon you know we are a neighborhood spot there are other great venues around where people could have lunch and come and have a cocktail with us after so that was always our intent but on the lead up to this i wanted to make sure that you know there was going to be some changes so as soon as we had that license i was always going to drop breakfast Monday to Friday and just do coffee and pastries in the morning and mm-hmm. focus on lunch and dinner, which is where, you know, we are beverage operators, the other yep. three venues are cocktail bars. So we really wanted to make sure that the experience for the guests um, was much more geared towards a drinking style of, of service, which a lot of people aren't doing between seven and 12 in the morning. Yes. Um, so we, we decided to focus our energy on that. So on the lead into those changes, it's obviously critical for me to make sure that the market doesn't get confused and that, that people understand that, um, you know that we're not we're not shifting um, because of a failure, but we're shifting because we want people to have a certain experience inside our venue. So, for us, um, for me to be creative, I had to be inside the space and see what people were enjoying, like get their feedback on the cocktail, get their feedback on the food, and just really see it with my own eyes. Not not that the managers or the staff can't give me that feedback, but it's mm. just different when when you're doing it yourself. You know, when you're delivering a cocktail, when you recommend a cocktail then you deliver the cocktail, then you watch them drink it, and then you get their feedback. It's being able to watch that experience and make allows you to be able to shape it. So creativity for me is being able to, to work a room, um, being able to shape a whole experience, being able to 
make sure the lighting's right, you know, make sure that the air, the temperature's right, that the, the, the whole venue is a, uh, has a certain feel to it so that people get a certain experience. Um, and it takes a lot of work sometimes, you know, it's taken, it literally taken me eight months to get, mm-hmm. to get Bartolo to exactly where I want it to be. Um, we did, as I said, we did some renovations at the beginning of last week. Mm-hmm. We put, uh, we put new carpeting in the dining area. We've floorboarded the bar area and we've created a sort of differentiation between the spaces. We put new curtains up night time So it blocks the street out a bit more. All these little details, um, I've eventually created a space that, that is exactly what I envisaged at the beginning, but right. it took some time to get there. So um, yeah, creativity can be hard to come by at times, but again, if the more you experience it yourself and stand in it and watch it, um, the easier it is to sort of shape it to be what you want it to be. What, what kind of experience are you trying or are you now envisaging to create a Bartolo? Like what, how do you want customers to walk out of your venues and actually feel as comparison to what your other venues that you have, Jared? So, Obviously, Big Poppers and Bartolo are both Italian restaurants yep. and bars, yep. right? Mm-hmm. But they're completely different products, completely different venues. So um, with Bartolo, we really wanted to go for an amazing little neighborhood spot that's a seat. So inside, we seat 55, and then we have the other 15 seats outside, which don't get used much in winter, obviously, but mm-hmm. are still there and available. But the idea is it's meant to be an extremely intimate experience. Um, so if there's only 55 seats inside, I want you to come and sit and be able to have exceptional cocktails like you do at the other venues. Mm-hmm. And I want you to be able to have a great wine experience and a great food experience. So we really, what I, obviously it's based, Bartolo's named after my great grandfather and, and there's a lot of history in the room and, mm-hmm. you know, there's a lot of family pictures on the wall and it's really talking about my heritage, um, my Italian heritage. And I wanted to make sure that I didn't exploit that in any way, but I wanted it to really feel like our home away from home. So like mm. it's got an open style kitchen. It's got a breakfast breakfast bar height um, bar. So, you know, it's no, no, everything that you can see the bartender doing is right in front of you, like if you're sitting at someone's house. Yes. So it's, it's meant to be rather very, very intimate. Like, like you have walked into our house and you're sitting down and having a dinner with my family or with our family at Bartolo. So, um, but have an exceptional wine list available. You know, we have a wine list that has almost 200 um, Italian uh, Italian wines on there and, and we wow. have a house cocktail list of six and we do, mm-hmm. you know, there's 12 classic cocktails in the menu. And it's mm-hmm. just, it's an extremely detailed product for a small space, which again has presented its challenges as well. But we want, mm-hmm. it, we want it to be an extremely exceptional, small, intimate experience. Um, and look, the menu, that the food menu that we have at the moment is, is the strongest we've had to date. It's, it's, you know, it's people are absolutely loving it. The cocktails are going down really, really well. So I'm really happy with where it's at. But um, as you said, it's, it just takes some time to, to be able to figure out what the market wants from you in a certain new demographic um, mm. and also what you're able to deliver out of the space as well because it is only a small space um, and your, your capacity to be able to produce um, certain food or certain cocktails is, is can be limited as well. But we found that now, and it's it's tracking really well, and people are loving it, which is great. Do you think? Um, do you think further on that's where the scene is going to go, Jared? Because like we're you're talking, we're talking a lot about neighbourhood kind of areas. You know, Surrey Hills, obviously. You know, the the other places you've got your venues very much neighbourhood areas, smaller footprint, um, uh, and you obviously got you know a well pri- uh, a value driven product um, yep. with a great experience. Do you think? that's where the industry is going to continue to go with uh, rents, rents, you know, continuing to rise wages, you know, um, people are getting paid what they, you know, what they are worth now, which is fantastic. Um, Cost of goods going up. Do you think that is where the industry is going to go into smaller venues rather than the bigger venues? 
Um, look, I think we've seen that naturally since 2007 with, mm. with the with the with the bar um, licensing changes. And yes, there's a lot of great operators now who are able to take smaller spaces and do exceptional product. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you'll continue to see uh, people pop up and get, have have a crack at things like 55, 60 seater, 80 seaters. Um, I think there will always still be space in the market for, for the big operators and, yes. and the people who are willing to do your 200 seater restaurants and do mm-hmm. them well. But I think, um, especially around the cocktail element of the market and the, and the cocktail bars and cocktail bartenders, yes. um, the smaller venues make more sense because obviously one, the, the, the cost of setting up and running a business mm-hmm. of that size is smaller but you're also able once once you get past a certain size, the intimacy of a cocktail venue can get lost. Yes. Um, you know, Bartolo is is smaller, so therefore you're able to give people that level of 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 experience. You're able to give them that level of involvement per table to be able to explain how the rum is sous vide with a pastry to give it a certain mouthfeel. You know, all these little details yeah, to do a certain thing. Mm. Yeah, like those details. If you're in a in a venue that's sort of 150 and it's straight bar service and there's no table service, you can't you can't let people understand the product as much. So yep. I think that's why a lot of the, the 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 emerging bartenders who want to do their own venues, et cetera, are focusing on these smaller venues so that they can maintain that intimacy because the true cocktail experience is isn't just about the drink that you're drinking, but the person serving it to you and and giving you the, also the knowledge. A lot of people love to sit there and understand. Um, you know why they're drinking a certain spirit, or why, yep. what, like, why, why this has been put with that. Um, and again, that back to Lobo, that's where that has done so well. Like you know, that does an exceptional amount of cocktails every night of the week. I think about eighty percent of what we do out of that venue is, is straight cocktails, and and a lot of that is people wow. sitting at the bar talking about the cocktail with the bartender. It's not just about what they're consuming, but they also want the knowledge to go with it, so that they can walk away and talk to their friends. And you know, uh, customers truly feel. Um, empowered when they are able to walk out of somewhere not just with having had a great product but with a bit of knowledge that they can take away and share with people as well so the smaller venues definitely allow you to be able to do that much more yeah and i I think the kind of venues you're creating as well jared is you know their neighborhood venues and and the customer consumer is going to feel like it's their place as well and i I think that's when you know you're on a winner is that when you get customers coming back time and time again and really enjoying the experience that you consistently do so that's a cool thing yeah, it is. It's great. Mm. It's great to see people like we, we're getting a lot of that now. Um, you know, we, we came into a market, the Surrey Hills, where there is, you know, there's along Crown Street, especially there's probably there's hundreds of hundreds yeah. of, of small operators in different, you know, even even Italian as well. We came yes. from a very densely Italian area, but we're mm. doing things differently to the guys down the road and across the road. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, once people understand, once we know exactly what we are now that we understand exactly what we want to be. And the, and the customer can see that we're seeing a lot of repeat business, which is great in a neighborhood space. Yeah, it's amazing. Now, obviously, you're only six months in at Bartolo, and you've got yep. three other venues there. Is there is there anything you're thinking about for the future as you as you uh, continue to do so well in the Sydney bar scene? Or a uh, holiday would be nice at some point. Um, <laughs> nah, and look, it, it's. Um, for me now, it's just really making sure that the company as a whole is able to grow. Yes. Um, as as we said before, they're all they're all I, I own in all of the businesses, but mm-hmm. um, I'd really like to create some cohesiveness across all four and sure. and build you know build a bit more of an overarching structure so that mm-hmm. so that we can benefit that every business can benefit. Mm-hmm. So that's sort of my focus for the immediate future is making sure that um, I sort of step back a bit from the front line in the next couple of months and sure. and really focus on 
developing the systems and and the, the part of the company that they can really push forward and then and then grow into again hopefully another venue at some point but there's there's no immediate desire for me to 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 build again unless something comes up you know it's it's you never know Bartolo, right? but Bartolo <laughs> was an idea yeah that I had in the back of my mind for a very long time like mm. I wanted to do a small intimate cocktail venue um, myself and Grazia DeFranco who's the the creative director of the bar here um, we'd been we'd looked at several venues before and it it wasn't until this one comes up so once something comes up and it feels right I sort of go for it but. For now, it's just about, yeah, again, for, so trying to make sure that the company as a whole um, is stable and, and able to grow. So we're, we're starting a, a proper marketing department at the moment. Amazing. Um, so that we can talk about, you know, cross-marketing and cross-promotions and things like that. So, yeah, it's a pretty exciting time. But, yeah, the focus is trying to make sure that the structure, the overarching structure is there. Yeah, amazing. Very excited to see what you do next, my friend. Um, awesome. Now, we'll, I'll link in uh, every single one of your venues so people know how to, uh, people know how to contact you. But... What's the what's the best way for people to find out about what you're doing? Um, the main way that we're doing, uh, main way we market is way most small places do these days is usually through Instagram and what yep. um, and through those channels, Instagram and Facebook. Um, feel free to follow us on there, or um, you can do so via all our websites. Um, that we have newsletters set up for all of them. So awesome. again, as this marketing department gets going, they'll become more regular and more frequent mm-hmm. to keep people up to date with what we're doing. Fantastic. Jared Molino, thank you so much for your time. Appreciate it. Thanks, Sean. Cheers. Cheers. Bye. Thank you so very much for tuning in for another episode of the Open Pantry Podcast. I hope you got a lot of great information out of that for your venue or in this time in your career. As we said at the end of the podcast there, I've linked up all the information about Jared's different venues in the bio so you can check him out please do if you're in sydney please check out some of his restaurants and bars they are just next level and really unique and that is something we need in the hospitality industry as always you can reach out to me just search open pantry consulting and you can either check out the website the instagram or my twitter feed to let me know what you thought of this episode until next time you have a great day